Thing. We are coming to the final share in Hilchasait Saw. I think we've spent uh, almost the whole winter on it, haven't we? Mm-hmm. And what you're not allowed to carry and what you are allowed to carry. Uh, and this will be the last share before Pesach, besides, I'm sorry to have to say this, besides the Pesach share. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have come around again to that time of the year. So, though we would normally have a share in two weeks today, we should be Shush on Purim. I can't imagine any of you will be in a fit state to. Uh, to attend the Shia and Shushan Purim, and anyway, about a week later, we'll probably have the Pesach, the Pesach Shia, which is about three weeks before Pesach, which is around about the time we normally have the Pesach Shia. So, if you all don't mind, it will be the last Shia of the winter season by the time we come back after Pesach and continue on our Hilfah Shabbos, which hopefully we'll do the, the halachas of Rafur, of um, taking medication on Shabbos, which is extremely important as we'll learn then. Um, it'll be slightly warmer and we won't need the heating on. Just to. Uh, Just to recap what we learned in the end of the, uh, in the previous year, and we'll move on to finish off what we learned in the previous year, and then we'll just recap. Is that me or is that somebody else? So here I see. <coughs> Sorry. Just to recap, we'll recap what we learned in the previous year. We'll just continue a few halachas which are perhaps a bit pertinent to this year. Continuing on from the previous year, wind up with repeating um, some of the halachas that we've learned, some new practical halachas, but basically all the same idea, but just slightly different scenarios, and that will bring us to the end of Hilchus Hitzor. I mean, the end is a bit, not quite the right word, because one can never get to the end of Hilchus Hitzor. There will always be things coming up, new ideas, new circumstances all the time, but at least, hopefully, we've got the broad spectrum of what Hilchus Hitzor entails, and if anybody has problems and issues, at least they'll know, or hopefully know what to ask. And we discussed in the previous year the halachas of a malbush. A malbush being clothes that one find the right page. <coughs> clothes that can be worn and clothes that can't be worn. What clothes can be worn and what clothes can't be worn. Not all clothes can be worn. And sometimes one thinks clothes in a, in a, in a certain manner of wearing can't be worn, and really they can be worn. So we discussed as follows. He said it's, it's any clothes that's worn in a normal fashion can be carried on Shabbos, can be worn on Shabbos. And even if it's worn in a slightly unusual fashion, in an unusual, unusual manner, but it's something which is often worn like that, that's okay to wear on Shabbos out in, in the Rishos Arabim. So, for instance, one can wear a jacket on one's shoulders, even though one hasn't got the sleeves inside one's hands, in, 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 one's hands inside the sleeves. Sorry. Since it's, uh, since it's quite a, a, not a, a totally unusual way of, carrying, of wearing a, a jacket, that's fine. You can walk out in the street with your jacket over your shoulders. And so too we discussed if it was raining and you wanted to protect your hair or your shaitl, you can wear your coat on top of your head. Because even though that's not the normal way of wearing your coat, but it, it's not an unusual way of wearing your coat. It is, does happen, and it's considered a, a, a type of wearing of a coat that's not enough to, to consider it carrying on Shabbos. Wearing two coats, two clothes, Again, it's unusual. Not many people wear two coats, but you can't say that wearing two coats is not done. You will find the odd person wearing two coats. Wearing clothes on top of clothes is not unusual, and therefore wearing two coats, even though you're not benefiting at all from the upper coat, you're only benefiting from is the lower coat, that's fine, and that's considered enough of a normal way of wearing a coat to allow you to wear it in Shabbos. And so too, to wear a coat in the summer. There's nothing wrong with wearing a coat in the summer. If you're cold, or even if you're not cold, you just find your coat in shul, which you've lost a few months ago. You come to shul on the mid-summer's, mid-shabbos summer afternoon, and you realize your coat's there, you're allowed to happily take it home, and we don't worry that you're going to come to carry it, etc., because that's a normal way of wearing a coat. Be it, it's hot, and you're going to, you're going to 
it's not really something that you really want to wear at that point in time, but it's a normal way of wearing it, and that's fine. So too wearing a hat on top of a yarmulke, on top of a couple, though one doesn't really need the couple or the hat when one's wearing both together, but since that's nowadays considered a normal thing to do, and therefore we happily walk around with a hat and a, and a couple underneath it. Though in the time of the Mishnah Buru, he was quite mach, Mishnah Buru himself was quite, quite strict with wearing a hat and a yarmulke, and you will find some people who take their, their couples off, because he was worried that if a hat would blow off in the wind, in a normal wind, you might carry the hat, because you don't need it to cover your head, because you've got a couple underneath. But whereas if you didn't have a couple, then you'll be fine, because you definitely won't come to carry the hat. So Mishnah Burr himself was quite strict about that, but we're very making nowadays, because most of our hats don't blow off in normal winds, and um, we don't normally end up carrying them. To wear two belts, the Ramah says is also. To wear two belts, the Ramah says is also, and therefore we discussed to have a, a Shabbos belt with a key on it. And we've discussed already how to wear the key on the Shabbos belt, but you've got a Shabbos belt with a key attached to it in, in the right manner. To wear that on top of your coat belt will be, will be considered also, because you're now wearing two belts, and two belts is unnecessary. Two belts is not the normal thing to do. It's not a normal way of wearing a belt, and therefore a belt is only an accessory, really, for the, for the garment. To wear two identical accessories, one doesn't, and therefore it is forbidden to wear two belts. When, when one does go out with a Shabbos key on a belt, a Shabbos belt with a key on it, one has to be careful to make sure that it's being worn in a manner that one normally wears a belt, and not on top of a second belt. We also spoke about wearing a handkerchief around your neck, even though a handkerchief is not the most smartest of scarves, but since wearing a scarf is a normal thing to do, and one decided that one wants one handkerchief as a scarf, that's fine, and one can wear a handkerchief, a cloth handkerchief, not a paper one, around your neck as a scarf. However, to fold your talis up, to fold your coat up, to fold your, your garment up, and wear it folded on your shoulder, that will be considered also. So even though you're wearing, in inverted commas, a garment, but it's not being worn in the normal way, that will be considered carrying, and therefore it's forbidden to go out with your clothes folded on you. We discussed the shawl. I'm not sure they mentioned some name. They gave you some name last week, two weeks ago. I can't. It's, I'll allow you to use your imagination what it's called. I'm never going to get it right anyway. Um, so we discussed, even though that's, just really something draped over you, and it's not, it doesn't seem to be worn in, in real terms. It's not really worn, but since that's a normal way to wear it, that's considered mutter, it's considered a malbush, and one can go out with that. However, we said if you would fold it up, and this is where we got to the tricky bit, if you would fold it up and begin to use it as a, as a part scarf, part clothing, that would be awesome, because that's not the normal way to wear a shawl. You wear a shawl with a, with a shawl hanging down, so you've now folded it up. You're wearing it in an unusual manner, and all that cloth which is being folded up is not necessary for the for the for the clothing that you for the way that, for the manner that you're wearing that piece of clothing, and that is considered carrying. All that extra cloth is considered carrying. And we continued on from there to say that the same would apply if you're wearing a, a man was coming home with his talis from shul, or a woman was wearing a, a long coat, and they, she was walking through the street, and there was a, a lot of mud there, and she was worried that her coat, or he was worried that his talis would get would become dirty from the mud in the street. So they he hitched it up and folded it up a little bit so that you can now it's now ra- raised above the mud and. He can go through the mud without filtering his talis or, or, or her coat. That would be us if it was folded quite a bit. That would be us. A small little fold it doesn't matter, but quite a, big, a bit of a fold, quite a bit of a fold would be a problem because, again, you're wearing a, a garment in a, in a manner that's not normal. You don't normally wear a, a, a coat with folds in it. If the folds are there for the design of the coat or for any other reason like that, that's fine. But where it's purely you're folding it because you don't want it there, because you don't want it to get dirty, that would be considered a problem of carrying. So to fold up your trousers... Uh, cause, because it was muddy on Shabbos could be a problem of carrying. If you fold up your, ch- your child's trousers to make it look like he's got turn-ups, that'll be fine, because that's the design of the trouser. Uh, you could hold it slightly. 
but to to if you to, if you're going to hold it quite a bit, you're en- you're going to end up folding up the talis, the, the coat as you at the point where you're pulling it up, aren't you? So if you let a very small amount, small amount is I can't give you inches, and then the small amount is normal, but to really pull it up would be a problem. Would be a problem. Uh, we've discussed folding shirt sleeves. Is that a problem? Is that not a problem? And it really depends on the situation of the person. If a person really wants short sleeves and couldn't find one in the cupboard because uh, uh, there wasn't uh, an ironed one and therefore wore long sleeves and just folded the sleeves up, that could be a problem with shabbos. But if you like wearing long sleeves folded up, that's absolutely fine. The, the cases, as we explained two weeks ago, of a folded garment, is quite, they're quite, quite numerous and we don't want to go into details. Some of them are quite complicated and difficult. But if anybody has a specific situation, I'm happy to take questions. Um, at the end of the year, Bez Hashem. Wearing gloves, we discussed was um, uh, the Mechaber himself says that one shouldn't, the Shulchan says one shouldn't wear gloves unless they're tied, because the worry is that you might take them off and end up carrying them in Shabbos. Mishan Bruce says that nowadays, since we don't have, according to a lot of, a lot of shitters, we don't have Rishus Rabban Deraisa, what we have is an Idrabon, and that we are Machmir that we have Rishus Rabban Deraisa, but because there are many who hold that we don't, therefore, there's a very strong room to be makel and to wear gloves and Shabbos, and there's no key to get your hands absolutely frozen on Shabbos if the Mishaburah is makel and allows you to wear gloves. But he does say, somebody who can be Machmir and not cause himself a strong injury, is, there is room to be Machmir. But if it's really cold out there, then one can uh, happily wear gloves. It's because uh, it's shirts are a very difficult thing to, 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 to make a rule. Uh, some, there are many people who, who quite happily wear long sleeve shirts folded up. That's what they like. They don't like wearing short sleeve shirts. And many people refuse to look at the, shirt, the long sleeve shirt. They will only wear short sleeve shirts. So it's very hard to... to re- but a, a coat which is normally worn long, um, uh, rolling up your trousers, that's standard. Every, not, nobody walks around with trousers rolled up unless they're rolling up to, to keep them from getting dirty. Nobody walks around with a coat half hitched up. They only do that because they don't, they don't want it to be to, to get filthy. Where there's another issue is where men tuck in their shirts into their trousers and things like that. These are all uh, issues which need discussing but it's not, it's not really um, pertinent here tonight. When you do tuck in a jumper or a shirt into a belt or into trousers often it will fall back on itself. Or if you wear sitzes out, uh, a child or an adult who wears, wears a sitzes sticking out will have this, the is automatically the corner of the sitz is folded back on itself. Is that considered a fold? Is that not, is that not considered a fold? These are all issues which are discussed in the poskim. And if, it does, if, if it's not pertinent to all of us here, I think we can happily jump over them and move on. If anybody has a specific issue with things like that, um, we will discuss whether women are not to wear sitzes a bit later on in the year. Um, we please do ask after this year. And finally, we, we finished off last week with earmuffs. Wearing earmuffs in the street is fine because that's definitely a, a proper malbush. It's a normal thing to do. And uh, though in this, this part of the world, not so many people do wear earmuffs, but if you go to study the colder climates in America, etc., earmuffs is just extremely common and it's considered a proper malbush and it's fine to wear them on Shabbos. Is that a normal way to wear a jacket? So then probably not. So then wear it over your, over your shoulders. That would be complicated, yeah. Because besides you folding some of the jacket, you're probably, you're probably going to have to fold some of that jacket, and uh, you're entering into a lot of difficulties. I wouldn't suggest it if I were you. I'm going to discuss a halacha, which might not seem to be pertinent, especially to the uh, 
to the attendance of the share here tonight, but as we'll move on from there, you'll see that it does have, I can't say extremely practical applications, but specifically for this year, as we head towards Purim, it has slight applications. So let's just sidetrack for a few moments, because it is interesting. The Shokhanar tells us, if a person was walking in the street, and he would find, or she would find, a pair of tefillin lying on the floor. So you're walking in the Rishis Rabbim, and there's a pair of tefillin lying on the floor. What should you do? Now, you pick them up and carry them, you definitely can't pick them up and carry them. Leave them there. There's a worry that the tefillin would end up being disgraced. It's a bizarre for the tefillin. You can't allow tefillin, which is something holy, something Kaddish, to remain in, in, in the street on its own, unguarded. So what, what can one do? So if the Shulchanan tells us, if the man is, walks past and sees a man, and he can pick them up and put them on him, he can actually wear them, and they fit him. They're not too big. They would fit him. Then he should pick them up, put them on his head, put them on his arm, tie them around, go home, take them off, I'm fine. So you've now worn your tefillin. There's nothing wrong with wearing tefillin if you're not wearing it for the mitzvah of tefillin on Shabbos. Absolutely nothing wrong. You're putting them on wearing tefillin is a normal thing to do for a man. Every man wears tefillin every day, hopefully. So it's a normal malbush. I know we don't look at tefillin as, as, a, as a malbush, but we do consider tefillin as a piece of clothing. It's being worn. Wearing tefillin is fine. You can put them, put them on the street, take them home and take them off. If there's many pairs of tefillin there, many, many pairs of tefillin, the Shulchanar tells us, put one on, take them home, come back, the next one on, take them, take them home, etc. If you get to the point where there's too many tefillin for you to be able to take home on Shabbos, so there's no way you're going to be able to get them all home on Shabbos anyway, then instead of doing that, you should just stand there watching those tefillin till the end of Shabbos, and then pick them up and take them home. So you have an obligation to make sure that those tefillin do not remain in a situation where they could be damaged or they could be treated without the deference that they, they, that they deserve. If it's too large, wouldn't fit you. It's also for you to, to, to redo that knot to make them smaller. So that could be an issue of Kaisha on Shabbos. To rebind that knot is a Malacha Deraisa. So if they're too large, again, it's like wearing a large shoe. That's not called wearing when it comes to Tfilin. It's not, a, it's not called a Malbush to wear a Tfilin which is too large. And then you can't wear them on Shabbos and, and try to take them home that way. You, again, would have to stand there until you found somebody who would fit them or somebody who, or Matzah Shabbos and, and they could take them home. If a woman walked by and saw the twillin, can the woman pick up those twillin, wear them, and take them home? Now, it would be, what's wrong? She's wearing twillin. She's putting on her head, she'll wear them. She might look odd, but she's wearing twillin. She takes and puts them on her arm. She runs away. You can wear your, put your hat on top of it and put your coat on. Don't forget, you're allowed to wear your coat. You can, you can throw your coat on top. Why not? Is there anything wrong with that? Can the woman pick up twillin? Now, the Mishnah is very unclear here. He doesn't come to, to, to a conclusion. He's really very inconclusive. Can a woman wear a man's clothing. Now, a tefillin is considered a, a, a piece of clothing, an article of clothing, really, which is, is menswear. You'll never walk into a lady's section of Marks and Spencer and find a pair of tefillin on the, on the shelves. Tefillin is definitely menswear. Can a woman wear, in the street, a garment which is totally a man's clothing? So, Mr. Brewer is not clear. Mrs. Graydon, if you would have written Mrs. Brewer, everything would have been clear. But definitely not. Mr. Brewer is not clear, and Mr. Graydon is 100% right. Therefore, if she's not clear, we're talking about here a Sophic Derisa. It could be that if you wear something which is a man's clothing and you're not allowed to, then you are then carrying in Erisha Sarabim, and you could transgress a Malacha Derisa of its sort. So, therefore, it would follow, if we, we, we follow with the inconclusiveness of the Mishnah Brewer, that one has to be Machme, and one would, cannot, cannot allow a woman to pick up those twillin and carry them, wear them home. She would have to stand there until she could find a man who would fit those twillin and take them home, or wait there for Matsoi Shabbos. So, a man wearing a woman's clothes, or a woman wearing a man's clothes, 
could be considered Hitzar on Shabbos. It could be that for me to walk out with my wife's tichel on my head on Shabbos, would, I would be transgressing the Issa Hitzar. And for a man, for a woman to walk out with my couple on my head, we'll be doing the same thing. We'll be transgressing the Issa Hitzar. So now, why is it applicable this year? This year, Purim falls on a Matzari Shabbos. And those who want to be Zrizim Makdimin might fancy coming to Shul Matzari Shabbos with their dressing up clothes on. And he might, he might get this odd man who thinks that to dress up like a woman. Of course, we're not discussing here the Issa of Leisilbash. That's a different subject. That's not Hilfus Shabbos. That's a completely different area which we're not even going to, to, to delve into at all. But let's assume that there's no Issa there. And he might fancy come to Shul, be the first one in Shul dressed up on the Matzai Shabbos. It's a fantastic idea. With his wife's Tichelon or something of that nature. He would be transgressing an Issa of Shabbos if he would walk out on Shabbos with, that, with those clothes on. And the same would be in the reverse. For, for a woman to wear man's clothes would also be also. The same would apply, for instance, can a woman go out with sitters? Can a woman go out wearing a man's beggared a pair of sitters? So here again, there's no doubt about it. You'll never find a, a, a beggared of sitters in the women's section in any designer wear shop, not yet anyway. And <laughs> therefore, for, uh, it's, con- it's definitely considered man's clothes. Sitters is considered very much a man's garment. No, no connection to a woman, and therefore for a woman to walk out on Shabbos wearing a pair of scissors of a man would be considered also. So to dress up again on Purim wearing a pair of scissors of a man and go out on Shabbos or just close to the end of Shabbos could be again transgressing the Issa of, of Shabbos, of Hitzor. We've discussed in the past that, that wearing a mask on Shabbos or walking out with stilts on Shabbos is also considered Hitzor because a mask is not a, a normal malbush, it's not a piece of clothing, and therefore cannot become subordinate to the person. It's not like a piece of clothing that's, that's there to serve the purpose of the man. It's, it's serving no purpose at all, purely the purpose of jest and making people laugh. Therefore, to walk, to walk out with a mask or to walk still to anything like that on, on Shabbos is, again, an Issa of Hitzar. So, again, this year, to try and dress up before the end of Shabbos and go out on the street to Shul, could really, you could really be transgressing many Yisurim of Shabbos. However, if you have a, a garment, which is a, a type of a garment that's worn both by men and by females, so let's assume a coat. We'll take a coat. Men wear coats and women wear coats. But a man won't wear a woman's coat and a woman won't wear a man's coat. But since the, the, a coat is an, article of, is an item of clothing that both men and women wear, that for a man to go out with a woman's coat, for a woman to go out with a man's coat, one is not over the issue of its own Shabbos. Because the idea of a coat is... The coat is an item, of, uh, an item of, of clothing that's worn both by men and by women. The fact that the design is slightly different, that's irrelevant. That doesn't really change the facts, and therefore we can't say he's not wearing a coat. He's wearing a coat because men also wear coats. Wearing a pair of stitches for a woman or, or uh, wearing a tickle for a man, that's definitely the man's not wearing, uh, wearing a tickle. No man walks around with a tickle on. I mean, it might come fashionable eventually, but it's not yet at the moment. It would be cheaper if they did. <coughs> but it's definitely not there yet. So to walk out with a tickle on your head is not considered wearing a piece of clothing. Wearing a woman's coat is considered wearing a piece of clothing. And vice versa as well, if a woman was out wearing a man's coat, that would be considered wearing a piece of clothing, and that would be fine. Scarves, wearing a, a, a female a scarf which is designed really for, for, for women, or a, man, a woman wearing a man's scarf. Again, these are, a scarf is an item of clothing that everybody wears, and that's not really an issue, and therefore both the men and the women can wear each other's scarves. To finish off now with... Halacha, really, that we, we said we would come to, and I've left it right till the end because it's probably the most um, controversial halacha for us here, especially for people sitting in this room, and that's the halacha of wearing jewelry on Shabbos. 
Now, we'll, we discussed right away through the halachas of, of carrying a Shabbos that anything that one might take off and t- to show another person, Chazal, gave, Chazal, Chazal forbade you from wearing a Shabbos. So, therefore, Chazal said to wear any type of jewelry in Shabbos is awesome. Why? Because you're walking the street, you've got a nice piece of jewelry, and you'll meet your friend, and she'll say to you, please can I have a look at that, and you'll take off your, your necklace or your earring or whatever it may be, and you'll show it to them, and then there's a risk. Once you've taken off what the article that you're wearing, or there's a worry that you might take it off, there's, a, there's always a risk that you're going to come to carry on Shabbos. You might walk for Amos, she might say, oh, you know, walk me home, and just before you actually put the earring back on or the necklace back on, you walk with her for Amos, you could end up carrying on Shabbos in the street or from Shazam to Shazayachid, that the Chazal forbade any article that might be taken off to, to be shown to another person from being worn on Shabbos. And therefore, it follows, say Chazal, that any tachshit, any piece of jewelry, which there's a risk that you might come to show it, is forbidden to wear on Shabbos. Now, I'm not asking you all to take your jewelry off. Let's discuss what the issa is and why nowadays we are not machmir. In fact, I will say to you that my grandmother was machmir never to wear jewelry on Shabbos. Uh, my, my grandfather used to say that she never needed to wear jewelry on Shabbos. <coughs> but, nice, isn't it? <coughs> but she was very firm and she wouldn't wear jewelry on Shabbos. But I don't know of any other woman that doesn't wear jewelry on Shabbos. So we're not asking, it's not even a chumrah that I'm going to say to you, you can if you want to. There is no woman out there who does not wear jewelry on Shabbos that I know of. So let's try and discuss the background to the Issa, what situations Chazal Asad, and why are we nowadays not to be worried about this chumrah. Now, the Mechaber, the Shukhanah, tells us Three stages, three levels of Issa when it comes to wearing jewelry on Shabbos. Three levels meaning three different opinions on the severity of this Issa of wearing, of, of wearing jewelry on Shabbos. Now the first Issa, the first level is the first shit in the Mechaber, where the Mechaber tells us that it's not only forbidden to wear jewelry in a Rishos Arabim on Shabbos, Chazal was so worried about jewelry because jewelry is something which is so, so likely for you to take off and show that they even forbade you to wear it in a chotzer she'enam morebis. Now, a chotzer she'enam means a courtyard which has no Arab in it. So if you imagine yourself living in, a, in a, a, a block of houses in a square around a public garden, now, misad halach, you're not allowed to carry in that public garden because since there's access to that garden from all the people living in those houses or a common street, uh, a, a, a cul-de-sac, so all the, 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 the cul-de-sac or this common garden is used, is a communal garden, it's a communal street, it's used by everybody who backs onto that garden or everybody accesses the house through that street. That's called the Chotzer She'ena Morevis. It's called a courtyard that has no area. In order to allow you to carry there, you have to have an area in that courtyard. So if you're in a block of flats, in order to be able to carry in the stairwell or if you have this common garden, etc., you have to make an area, you, you have to go through the halachas of area to consider each member of the flat, every single flat, or each of the houses in the courtyard, as if they all live in one big house. That's how everything works. And therefore, there's only one member now, one family, one large family living in that courtyard. And therefore, it's a courtyard which can be carried in. But you have to go through a process of an Erev. If you wouldn't make an Erev in that courtyard, or you didn't make an Erev in your stairwell, can you wear your jewelry in the Chatzah She'ena Morevah? So the first opinion brought down in the Shulchan Aruch is that you can't wear your jewelry in the, in the street because you might come to carry it and you can't wear your jewelry even in a courtyard which is a public, a common courtyard stairwell, common courtyard, etc. That's not had an Erev made for it. So then Tachshitim, all jewelry is banned in those two areas. The second opinion is much worse than that. The second opinion says jewelry is something which is so common for a person to make a mistake and walk 
out into the street carrying, that Chazal said that not only can you not carry it in the, in the street, can you not wear them in the street, not only can you not wear them in a courtyard which has no area, you can't even wear them in a courtyard that has an area, and you can't even wear them in your own home. Because they are so worried that once it's on you, you're never going to take them off, and the risk of coming to carry in the street this piece of jewelry is so enormous that they forbade across the board no wearing jewelry on Shabbos. Third shifter is the, the most lenient. The third, third opinion is the most lenient. And they say that you cannot wear jewelry in the street. That's a given across all the three opinions. However, in your own courtyard, or even in a courtyard which has had no area in it, in your own garden, or even in a public garden, a courtyard which has no area, you, you can wear jewelry. Therefore, some will make it. At the end of the day, you're wearing it. And the worry that you might come to carry it, take it off and show somebody in a courtyard, that's not so painful. Not so, not so, we're not so worried about that. Your next door neighbor, you're much more... Uh, you, you know, you see them much more often, you don't need to show them your jewelry. You're only worried if you're walking in the street. And then you might meet somebody who you really, you know, somebody who you're trying to live up to the Joneses, and therefore you're going to show them your jewelry. That's a worry. The worry in your courtyard, because I won't worry so much about that. So we have three opinions. One says, in the street or in a public courtyard, it's also. The second opinion says, in the street, public courtyard, private courtyard, private home is also. Third one says, only the street is also. So, Having seen a severity of wearing tachshit in our Shabbos, why on earth are we not worried about it? Why, do, why have we not got up on our Shabbos shoes and Shabbos are gone banged on the table and says, ladies, I can't understand you. Why are you walking around with jewelry on? What is the heifer? So this, this problem is really not something which just surfaced recently. It's a problem which has really been around for many, many hundreds of years and is already discussed in the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch itself discusses why on earth are women makel when it comes to these halachas. Now, the first reason the Shulchan Aruch says, and this is something that's going to strike you as strange, he says there's really no reason why women are allowed to wear jewelry. They're not allowed to. So why don't we get up and bang out and scream and shout and make a fuss? So it says, It's a given that women are not going to be able to take their jewelry off. And therefore, rather that they should do it without, inadvertently, than to do it knowingly. There's no way they're going to walk around without, without their jewelry. So we keep quiet about it. We don't say a word. It's not specific to women. We do this, this rule of mutu shei comes across even by men as well. So don't feel, don't feel inferior, chas But each, each, each one of us has our own mysterious, our own test in life. And jewelry is something that Mechabah says is impossible for a woman to overcome. And therefore we keep quiet. We just let them get on with it. But really, it's completely forbidden. So that's the... First, the first opinion of the Mechaber. So we have three shittas of the three levels of severity. Then the Mechaber says, even though now if we don't make a fuss, but really we should be making a fuss, we're just, we're just uh, you know, rather they, they did it b'shegir than b'mezid. Then the Mechaber comes along and says, maybe it's not as bad as all that. Maybe women are not so terrible, and really women would take it off if we told them to, and they're really just as fine and ehrlich as all us men. That's not really the problem here. So the, the Mechaber, maybe the issue is something different. He says, we really pass in like the third, the most lenient opinion. Muslim opinion is that the only issue of wearing jewelry is in the Rishusarabim, in the public street. But in a courtyard which has no Arab, you're allowed to wear jewelry, because that's the third, the third opinion. Chazal never forbade jewelry in a common courtyard. So, says the, says the Mechaber, since nowadays we have many shitters who hold that our streets are not really considered Rishusarabim, they're, they're like Kamalists, they're only Rishusarabim Drabbonons, so that, that equates with a chotzesh enum or revis. That's on the same level as a public courtyard. And if you're allowed to wear jewelry in a public courtyard, then you're allowed to wear jewelry in a caramelist too. And if you're allowed to wear jewelry in a caramelist, so nowadays we can allow the women to wear jewelry in our streets, though there are shit, as we say, that we have real shusarabims, and that's why we might not agree with, a, with, with an area that somebody might decide to make in a town. 
But there are many shittas who say it's only a shustra bonon, and therefore when it comes to jewelry, we are naked. The Ramah wasn't happy with that. The Ramah didn't like that. To say that women, it's a very weak excuse, and to say that we rely on for Kamalis, he says there's a difference between a, a public courtyard and a, a street, which is a Rishustra Abonon, a complete Rishustra Abonon, it's a completely different thing. And if Chazal said you're allowed to wear jewelry in your public courtyard, they never said you're allowed to wear it in the street. So he doesn't like any of these two reasons. So he had to come up with a third reason. That's really the strongest of all three, though again, it is not 100% of the reason. But in combination with the other two, no one in their right mind, gets up and makes an issue about jewelry because, because of the combination of these three reasons, well, let's leave the first one out. Because of the combination of the, the Mechaba and the Ramah, therefore all women across the board are maker when it comes to wearing jewelry. And he says that. He says, since nowadays, there's a difference between nowadays and the time of Chazal. In the time of Chazal, a person managed to save up and buy a single piece of jewelry. It was a real, it was something uh, unusual, it was something rare. A woman hardly wore jewelry. They only wore jewelry when they could afford it, and they only wore it on Shabbos, and only on special occasions. A piece of jewelry was something that was a rarity. And since it was a rarity, there was a real worry that you'd go in the street, you'd take that jewelry off, and you might show it. And therefore, Chazal felt necessary to forbid you wearing it in the street, according to some to forbid you wearing it in the common courtyard, and according to others to go to the extent of forbidding you to wear it even in your own home. But he says, nowadays, says Ramor, we are inundated with jewelry. Baruch Hashem, the, the custom jewelry and real jewelry, it's it's affordable to most people, if not everybody, but everybody wears some type of jewelry, both during the week and on Shabbos at all times. Rarely will you find a woman going out of the house without jewelry on. And therefore, since jewelry is not such a novelty anymore, it's something which is really commonplace. The worry that you're going to take it up to show someone is not there anymore, and therefore we are mekel, and we assume that the gezer of chazal doesn't apply. And that is really why nowadays we are mekel on wearing jewelry on Shabbos. Now, it's again, not such a simple reason, because... This is an old problem. Whenever Chazal made a, a, a takana, they made a gezeira, and they said that don't do this, don't do a, 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 a X because of a specific reason, when that reason goes, when that reason is not there anymore, does that mean that the whole, the whole gezeira, the whole takana is out the window? Or do we say, no, that was one of the reasons of Chazal, but there's many other reasons. And if Chazal said something is forbidden, it's forbidden, irrelevant if the reason that they, they gave for it doesn't apply anymore. So that is, again, not such, a, not such a simple issue. We've discussed this before. We discussed it many, years, many, many, uh, many moons ago, I think it was. Uh, for instance, there's a halach in, in Chazal. Are you allowed to drink water which has been left open? Now, in the time of the Gemara, you weren't allowed to drink any liquid, any water, not, not fruit juices, any liquids which was left open, because there was a worry that these snakes, scorpions, etc., poisonous reptiles would come, drink, and deposit some of the poison. There was a serious risk to your health to drink Water which was left open. So in the time of Chazal, we had a very difficult, life was much more difficult than it is nowadays, and any water had to be covered. Any pitcher of water had to be covered, had to be completely covered. What about nowadays? Nowadays we leave water and everything open all around the house. Why? So the Yerushalayim already pointed out that the reason is very simple. The only reason why Chazal said that you're not allowed to leave water open and drink from it is because there's a worry that the reptiles might come and drink from it. I've never seen a snake around my house, nor have I seen a scorpion in my house. You might see an odd scorpion in there, but I've never seen one sneak up to a pitcher of water and take a drink. So since the cause, the reason why Chazal forbade you to drink water doesn't exist anymore, so therefore the whole Issa is out the window. And that's a shit of, of, of tasis. Others argue, and they say, no, the Gorn was very, very strict about this, and the Gorn said, what do you mean? If Chazal said you mustn't drink water which is open, you mustn't drink water which is left open. Irrelevant if the reason they gave doesn't apply nowadays or does apply. That's not the issue here. The issue is, Chazal said it's Osa, it remains Osa forever. 
The reason they gave was one of the reasons. There's many other reasons behind every takon of chazal. And therefore, says Agon, you cannot even nowadays drink water which is left open. Now, the reason why most of us do drink water which is left open is because we paskin on the shukhar paskins, like tasters, we paskin that we do not worry about the takana if the cause, the reason of the takana doesn't apply. And the Ramah is basing himself on that, that same logic and that same, the same reasoning that why can women wear jewelry? Because since the reason why they forbade you to carry jewelry on Shabbos is because you might come to sh- take it off and show someone, that reason doesn't really apply nowadays. And if that reason doesn't apply nowadays, we have what to rely on and therefore say that the Hakona is null, is null and doesn't exist anymore. And that is really the background to why we allow women, and women do, happily wear jewelry on Shabbos. I wouldn't like to see anybody take the jewelry off because of this year. It's really common and everybody does wear jewelry. Okay, so that really brings us to the end of the halachas of, of Hitzah. We'll run through just a, a bunch of practical um, uh, cases of Hitzah. Some which we have discussed, which are uh, very, very pertinent, some which we haven't discussed, but they're all almost identical. And the, you will notice the similarities across the board that somewhere along the line in the past uh, five, five, six months, five months, we've covered the areas of these, of these, these uh, cases. We're not going to go through all the background of them all. We'll just rattle through the cases, and that will bring us to, we'll wind up the halachas of it so that we've spent the last few months on. To ride a bicycle in the streets on Shabbos. So we haven't discussed this, but... It's a very simple co- comparison to pushing a wheelchair. Come on, ride a bicycle in the streets on Shabbos. Now, to ride a bicycle in the streets on Shabbos is completely forbidden on Shabbos because you are carrying the bicycle. Riding the bicycle is carrying the bicycle, as we've discussed. Carrying means carrying. Carrying means pushing. Carrying means any form of mo- maneuvering an article from A to B. So when you get on your bicycle and you maneuver your bicycle down the street, your bicycle has been carried by you in this in the Rabbim. You are therefore transgressing the Issa the Raisa of it like riding your bicycle in the street. The Paskin goes so far to say that since uh, the purpose of a bicycle is to be ridden in the street, therefore even to use or to move a bicycle at home could be a problem of muksa. It's a keli shemalachte le'issa. It's a keli which is set aside primarily to be used in a situation when it is forbidden to be used on Shabbos, and therefore it'll have a, a din of muksa to it and can't even be moved around the house. A little tricycle or a little children's bike, which is a child's bike, which is used at home, uh, probably far more than it's used in the street, and that's fine. That's not muksa because it's not intended to be used in the street, it's intended to be used at home, and there's no problem with using that, allowing the child to push it around on Shabbos. With the bikes, scooters. Because they've got an area, yeah. Because they've closed the street. It would be nice if we could close Gold Green Road, wouldn't it? <laughs> to walk in the street with food in your mouth. Um, I know it's disgusting thing to do anyway, but uh, you can imagine if one would stretch one's imagination to the modern generation who like to, to chew gum and compare themselves to um, chewing the cud. Uh, it's, it's something which is difficult for them to perhaps stop, and they would like to walk in the streets on Shabbos chewing gum. It's, you could understand that, but to do that on Shabbos would transgress an issue of it, so you're carrying in a normal manner. I know it sounds strange, but that is straightforward carrying. You're carrying food in your mouth, out in the street in Shabbos, and that would be also. If you have a, a little bit of food left over from your meal, a tiny bit, which is insignificant, that's not considered carrying, that's fine. How about pushing a child on a swing? You go, you go for a walk to the park, can you put your child on a swing and push your child on a swing? Now here, if you think back to all the criteria of carrying, there's very little carrying here, because the swing is attached to the frame, the frame is secure on the ground, and he's just moving backwards and forwards in, in midair. There's no akira, there's no uprooting and placing down 
from place A to place B. It is really just swinging on the same place, on the, the point where the frame is standing. So there's nothing wrong with putting a child on a swing of shovels and letting the child swing. The only problem would be if the swing is hanging on a tree. If the swing is hanging on a tree, that could be a different issue. And these are halachas of kaitsa. Can you take something off a tree or use something that's hanging on a tree on Shabbos, that's a different issue, that's a different shayla. This is a very famous story of the stipler when he was uh, drafted into the Russian army and he, he had to do um, guard duty on Shabbos. So with the previous guard, they didn't have that many fur coats, it was freezing cold. The previous guard took his coat off and hung it on the tree and told him that, you, you know, the, the, the coat's over there. And he gets out there and he realizes it's hanging on a tree and he's got a problem. You're not allowed to take something off a tree on Shabbos. It's a problem of Talish, it's a drabonon of Talish, what, what could he do? And that's the famous story that he said, you know, I'll try five minutes, and I'll try another five minutes, and until eventually he, he stood out his, his guard duty right the way through the, the couple of hours he had to stand out there without his fur coat on, and he survived Rokhashim. But that's a, a different issue, whether one's allowed to have a, 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 use a swing which is attached to a tree. Washing one's hand in a river. Washing one's hands in a river, it's um, more, more pertinent to people who uh, go on holiday, men who are very mucky to go to Mikvah on Shabbos, and they go on holiday and fancy going to the Mikvah in the sea on Shabbos. It does happen. Uh, there's a problem here. If you wash your hands in a river and you then take your hands out, the water that remains on your hand, and you then walk Daladamas with that water, you have now carried that water for Amos in a Kamalist. If you're the area around next to the river, is a Rosh Hashanah. So you have a river, and next to the river is a Rosh Hashanah. If you put your hands in the river to wash them, you take them out and bring them into the Rosh Hashanah, you've now carried the water that's on your hands from the river into the Rosh Hashanah. You're transgressing Isidoraisa. If there's no Rosh Hashanah there, then if you would walk Daladamas, you would be transgressing Isidorabamam of four Amas in a Kamlis. So these are, again, new, new examples of everything that we've learned up until now. However, to walk around the street with your coat on, and suddenly you get caught in a, in a shower, and you get absolutely soaked. So you're now completely drenched, and your, your hair and your coat and everything is absolutely dripping. There is no issa to walk around the Shabbos, as long as you like in the street, not in the street, because since that's a normal thing to do, it's not considered carrying, and that's, that, that the, the, the water is, is, is insignificant. And Chazal never said that, you, that, that it's also. At the end of the day, walking with your clothes drenched is not a normal way of carrying. It's a kalachiyad. And since it's a kalachiyad, Chazal said, since it's almost invariable that that you're going to get soaked sometimes in your life on the Shabbos, because I'll never forbid walking around drenched from the rain. Uh, an, an ill person, a sick person who is, isn't allowed to go out the house on Shabbos or anywhere at any time without medication, for instance, people who suffer from angina or people who suffer from diabetes, etc. Some people who are severely allergic and can, can uh, unfortunately uh, suddenly get a, a reaction to something without even realizing that they get a reaction to the extent that it can really be in danger of their life and have to walk around with a, an insulin or, or a, a, an antihistamine injection. <laughs> These are very difficult questions, and really they should be asked to, uh, to uh, uh, Robert at, uh, whenever they, the question arises. But here, again, the, the most Rabbana will be made to allow you to carry Kilachiyad in a situation where you need to go out for a mitzvah or for something which is really necessary. So it would allow you perhaps to walk around with your angina spray in, the, in your hat, in the lining of your hat, which is an unusual way of carrying it, or with this uh, insulin uh, injection in, 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 inside your sock, or inside your stocking, or something which is not a normal way of carrying, and you need to go out for a mitzvah, so then there's, there's room to be makele there to, to carry something like that kilachiyad. So it doesn't mean that somebody who can't go out without medication is locked, in the, locked up in the home all day long. On Shabbos, there are ways and means perhaps to allow them to go out. Wearing hearing aids on Shabbos. 
can one wear a hearing aid on Shabbos? This is a, another issue which, again, must be asked because each situation is different. But the basic rule is that a person who can't walk in the street without a hearing aid is very similar to a person who can't walk in the street without glasses. A can't walk in the street without a hearing aid. Most Rabbanim will allow you to wear a hearing aid on Shabbos in the street because then we consider it a tachshit. We consider it something which is being there to serve the purpose of the, of the, of the, of the man and is an attachment to the person bottom to his guf, and it's, it's, it's a type of a malbush which is mutter to go out on Shabbos. Not on Shabbos, no. Not only that, you can't even switch it from one mode to the other mode on a Shabbos because you're changing... Um, you're, you, it's, it's a, it could be a problem of ticket mono, fixing an article, and it could be a problem of, of, um, of changing the circuit. And changing a circuit on Shabbos is also a problem. So ideally, a uh, hearing aid should be fixed before Shabbos into the mode that's needed. And that's part of, part of the uh, problem with having a, one of these loop systems in a shul, because in order to, for a hearing aid to work in a loop system, you have to change it from one setting to the other, and uh, that causes quite a bit of problems. There are some hearing aids which you can get away with it, but they're, they're I think, the more expensive type and rather the upper end of the market. Walking around with cotton wool in your ear. Can you walk around a Shabbos with cotton wool in your ear? Now, the, the, the Shulchan Aruch tells us, to walk, to walk around with a pad in your ear is also unless it's tied. And this is a, an enormous controversy amongst the, the contemporary poskim. What does it mean it has to be tied? Does it just mean it has to be secure that it's not going to fall? Or does it mean that you actually literally have to tie it? You have to have the piece of cotton wool tied to a piece of string and tied around your ear to make sure that if it does come out, it will not fall down. Uh, again, it's a controversy in the poskim, but if somebody does need to wear cotton wool in their ear, there are um, many, uh, many poskim will make if it's pushed into the air to the extent that it definitely won't fall out, and it was really necessary for you to walk out like, like that on Shabbos, that you could walk out with, you could walk out with cotton wool in your Shabbos. <coughs> Just to run through very basic, some very basic halachas that we did discuss uh, in the previous shurim, uh, walking around with a plaster on Shabbos, with a sling, or, or with a bandage, we said it's okay, because that's, that's something that's called that gufa, that's protecting the body, to wear insoles, heel grips, sanitary pads, etc., all these things which are serving the purpose of protecting the person is considered um, secondary to the person and allowed to be worn on Shabbos. Things which are normal for people to wear, like cufflinks or normal buttons, hooks, decorative buttons, are all fine to wear on Shabbos. We spoke about things which have no value, so wearing identi- walking out with identif- identification labels on the clothing or, or um, plain spare buttons, which is quite normal and people don't have no interest in them, is fine. Cleaning tags, etc., are all fine to walk out with on Shabbos. However, to wear a torn belt loop, which you intend to fix, these are very practical things which do come up from time to time, and that if one intends to fix it, one mustn't wear the trousers with a loose belt loop with that torn belt, belt loop on Shabbos. And finally, just to run through what one does if one finds something in one's pocket on a Shabbos, you walk out your house and you find something in your pocket, which is really one of the first things we discussed right at the beginning of it, so on. we'll come back and finish, close the circle, we're repeating that which we've learned there, and hopefully it shouldn't be necessary for anybody to have to actually do this. But if one does inadvertently walk out of your house with something in your pocket in Shabbos, and you're walking down the street and you remember that you have something, you realize you have something in your pocket in Shabbos, the first thing, the first rule, the cardinal rule is do not stop, just continue walking. Once you've got your wits about you and you've continued to walk, do an about turn and get home. Get home without stopping at all, because that way you've picked it up in Rosh Yachid, you've walked around but you haven't placed it in Rishos Rabbin, you haven't done Nakira and Hanukkah in one Rishos and another Rishos, you will take it straight back home, drop it off at home and walk back out again, that's fine. If you have stopped once in the street, 
you have stopped, if you've already stopped or you didn't realize, and you put your hand in your pocket and said, oh dear, I've got my something there, and you stopped, and then you realize, oh, I shouldn't have stopped, I shouldn't have, stopped, I should have carried on walking, then what you do is just stop. Put it, take it out of your pocket and drop it where you are. Don't, don't carry on moving at all, because the minute you carry on moving, you've now done another Kirin and and that's unnecessary. If you stopped and started, I mean, you'd walked out of your house and you'd walked to the end of the road and you stopped, you looked around, you crossed over the road, and as you walked on the other side of the road, you realized you've got something in your pocket. And if you can turn around without stopping and go back to the point where you stopped at the edge of the road and place it there, or within Dalit Amos of where you stopped at the edge of the road and placed it there, you're fine. Because again, you haven't moved Dalit Amos with the article. You walked Dalit Amos, but you didn't place it after Dalit Amos. You've returned it and placed it back within the Dalit Amos, so you haven't transgressed the Malacca of Hitzor in the Rishasarabim. If you can't return it to the area that you are, then what you should do is, if you can find a, a caramelis or a mokhen if you can find a little area that we call a mokhen one of these um, bollards, etc., or something like that, if you could place it down on one of those, then you've d- done an akira in a shesarabim and a hamokhen and a pato, that's fine. That's the least level of it. So if you can't, try and find yourself a caramelis, uh, a, 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 not a but a caramelis, uh, like a, a cul-de-sac, place it inside the cul-de-sac, because then you've done an akira from a shesarabim and the hamokhen in a caramelis, which is a and not a derisa, and a drabonon. If you place a kilachiyad, you've got two drabonons. That makes it even easier. And if you um, can't find another kamlis, and you have to put it in the shusarabim, then drop it kilachiyad in the shusarabim. So you've done only a drabonon of akira and a nochel kilachiyad, which is only an isa drabonon. Hopefully, none of those should apply to anybody, and we should be careful. As we said in, in, in one of the first year, in the halacha, a chiyav chazal required every person to check their pockets before Shabbos comes in, or at least before you go out of the house with your pockets. With, with, with your coats and your clothes and showers, make sure there's nothing in your pockets to the extent that the Gaon was, was careful not to allow any article to go into his Shabbos clothes at all, ever, to make sure that he never would inadvertently come to transgress Issa Tzav Shabbos. But as with we can also make sure that we, we will not transgress Issa Tzav Shabbos. Hopefully we've covered the broad spectrum of Hitzah and you're less mixed up than you were before we started, and enough to the, to the extent that if there is an issue which does arise, and you're not sure, at least you'll know that there's an issue, and you'll be able to, as Hashem asked. Just to finish off with a short you, I'd like to repeat something to you that I, I mentioned very briefly on Sudish Lishis, and it's applicable to us in this week's Sedra, and perhaps to the month of Adar. The Pasuk starts in this week's Sedra, V'yichali Truma, Ne'esh Kol Ish. The Torah, commanded the members of Kali to donate towards the Mishkan, to the building of the Mishkan, to donate from their property, gold, silver, all the 13 different articles that were needed, different materials that were needed for the building of the Mishkan. And the wording the Pasuk uses is li truma. Now the word v'yikhu in real terms means to take. It doesn't mean to give. It would be far clearer, and far, it seems to be a far better wording had it said v'yitnu li truma, give to me. Why do you say v'yikhu li? V'yikhu li implies that by giving, you're not really giving, you're taking. What do we mean when we say by giving, you're not giving, but rather you're taking? Many, many, a lot, a lot of ink has been spent on this question. And, uh, you know, we're only here, we only have a, sh- a few moments here. But I want to share with you a beautiful, beautiful thought, beautiful understanding from Rav Shamshon of Hirsch, which he says with regard to the Pasha Shkolim, with regard to the halacha of donating a shekel, a machsis a shekel to the Beis HaMikdosh, which one had to do every single year in the Pasha we laid at the at the end of the laning on Shabbos and Shabbos morning. And he says something really beautiful. The, the giving of a machsis shekel was given in order that Kalishol could be counted. Whenever Kalishol were counted, they donated a machsis shekel. And that way a person was counted. That machsis shekel was given to the Beis Amigdash. And it was used either for the Adonim in the time of the Mishkan to the 
for the sockets, for the boards of the Mishkan, or it was used for the Kabbalists in a regular year of the, of the Beis HaMikdash. But the only way a person can be counted, says Rishon Shonafal, is to donate something to the Beis HaMikdash, implying that without donating to the Mishkan, without donating to the other person, without donating something to another party, a person has no value, he's uncountable. He has no intrinsic value. The only intrinsic value of a person is to be able to give. By giving, you become a person. A person who's into himself, a person who's self, just totally into the self, and he's not a real person. He's someone that has no value, has no significance, to the extent that he doesn't even need to be counted. He can't be included in the count of, of, the, of, of the members of Kali's role. In order to be considered a person of value, to be considered a person who is worth our notice, to be considered someone that's significant enough to be counted, there has to be someone who can give of himself to others. So only when you can give and donate a machsis hashekel do you actually become a person of value. The Reb Chaim the in his Sefer Nefesh Chaim, in the, in the introduction to the Sefer, his son, Reb Yitzchak Velozhner, writes, quoting his father, he says, my father used to say, that a man was not created only to do good to another person. The purpose of the creation of man is to be nice, is to chesed, to be able to help the second party. Therefore, man is not considered a true person unless he's actually going to give of himself away to everybody else. We find that uh, the coming after Pasha's column is, is Pasha's Zohar. Pasha's Zohar is there to remove, to, to wipe out the memory of Amalek. Amalek is a descendant of Esau, who the tendencies of Esau were to be very much a, self, a selfish person. Esau, Yeshlirov, he wanted everything. He ne- could never have enough. He could never acquire, he could never own, he could never reach and the, the, the fulfillment of his own personal desires because he was very much a man into himself. His only anger against Yaakov was that Yaakov was taken away Olam Hazer from him. He couldn't take the idea of sharing something with someone else. He was somebody who was very much focused on himself, and that's something that we have to wipe out of our minds. To be totally focused on ourselves, that's not what a Jew is about, that's not what a person is all about. A man is only a man in as much as he gives to someone else. And that's perhaps the message here in the Pasuk as well, the Yikhuli Truma. Yes, you're donating to the base of Mikdash, you're donating to the service of the, of, of, of the, of the Mishkan, you're donating to HaKadosh Baruch, you're donating to allow Ksalishol to be able to serve the HaKadosh Baruch in a greater manner through the avoid of the base of Mikdash. If you donate to the Beis HaMikdash, then you're really taking for yourself. You're really becoming a true person. By donating, you're becoming and taking yourself as a human being. That is the message of the Pasuk here. That's the message of this week's said. That's really the message of the whole of our door. The whole of our door is based around the idea of helping and giving. It's all about giving, giving. Even when we run up to the Pesach, we go from Adar to Nisan, the idea of Kim Chadepischa, giving money to, to, to poor people, which is such an integral part of the build-up to, to Pesach. These are all very much based on the avoid of Adar and Nisan, which is the avoid of the Yikhuli Truma, to give, but you're not, you're not really giving. You're really taking, you're becoming a person of, of value, a person of significance, a person who can be counted in the count in the numbers of Kali Shol. That's the message for us here, and hopefully we can take this message practically. Uh, anybody who has spare money, the, when it comes to Yomtu, we will need uh, as much money as we can this year. It's been very tough out there this year. There's many people. I can't tell you how many phone calls I've had recently for people, unfortunately, who are struggling. If anybody is out there with, with spare much money, we, we will uh, pass it on long before Pesach Rezus Hashem. The Yikhali Truma, donate to the to the Tibur, donate to the public, and then we become persons of of, of uh, value which cannot be measured in real terms. And the return of the Shkos of that eventually will give us Yat Tishmai, and not only will we see the rebuilding of the base of Mikdash, we will all come party to the building of the base of Mikdash, we will to be Zeichet to the avoid in the base of Mikdash, and see the Gilukhoit Shchina, Yom Hebi Yomain, Amen.
מגוון שיעורי כל הלשון נמסרים על ידי מגדי שיעורים ורבנים, המשקיעים מזמנם וכוחם ללמד לרבים. אם ברצונכם וביכולתכם לסייע ולתמוך במגדי השיעורים ובמוסדות התורה שבאחריותם, תוכלו ליצור קשר ישיר עם הרבנים. לקבלת פרטי מגדי השיעורים ניתן לפנות למשרדי כל הלשון בטלפון 02-581-6622 או בכתובת דואר אלקטרוני אל שטרודל קו אל hl.com